0: so if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we've been going through this series focusing on missions. And what is missions? We use this word often in the church, and uh, we've been tapping into, you know, what are we talking about when we say missions? Uh, so I offered a definition, we're going to do a quick recap over the last couple of weeks. I suggested a couple weeks ago that missions could be defined as this, the act of being sent out for the primary purpose of spreading the gospel of Jesus the act of being sent for the primary purpose of spreading the gospel of Jesus now missions being from the word the latin word uh, missio which means uh, to be sent or to send uh, so then we ask well who's sending if it's the act of being sent for the primary purpose of spreading the gospel then who is the one sending us Well, we've looked at how that's Jesus. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus himself says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Preach the gospel to all creation. So we looked at how Jesus is the one sending us. And then the first Sunday, so two weeks ago, when we looked at the the what, what is it that we believe? What is the gospel? We looked at really two key points. One, Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. And so when Jesus is saying, go out into all the world and and preach the gospel, we've talked about how he's literally saying, go into all the world and preach me. Right? Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is synonymous with the gospel just as much as chocolate is synonymous with peanut butter. Bad example. All right, Jesus is the gospel. The second key point is this. Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost. So Jesus makes it clear that his ministry was to seek and save the lost. And as such, then, he's given us the responsibility of that ministry ourselves. So that's when we looked at the what. What is it that we believe? And then last week, we looked at the why. Why do we believe? Why is it necessary to believe the gospel? Why is the gospel? And it is, as such, we looked at how the lost are blind. Now, when we said that the lost can't see, we're not giving the lost a value or a condition of worth. It isn't that the lost are less than. As a matter of fact, we talked about how believers, when you've actually given your life to Jesus Christ, you're actually admitting or you're accepting the fact that you are desperately fallen, and in need of a Savior. And so it's not a condition of worth, but it's a, it's a condition of, of a spiritual truth, a spiritual status, in that when you are lost, when you are lost, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have yet to invite Jesus to be the leader of your life and to follow Him. And the Bible tells us That when you're in that condition, you cannot see the glory of God. And so we looked at how uh, because the lost cannot see, because the lost cannot see God's glory, he's given us the responsibility, and so then we become responsible. Believers then become responsible to, to shine the glory of God. That was the fourth key point, that we have the responsibility to shine the light of God's glory So that the lost who were once blind can now see, not because of things that we've done, but because of what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. And as such, that glory shines through us so the lost can see. So as I mentioned two weeks ago, we looked at the what. What is it that we believe? And then last week we looked at the why. Well, what's at stake? Why is it that we believe this? And today we're going to look at the how. How is it, then, that we live out the gospel of Jesus? How is it that that becomes so intertwined in our daily lives? How does that become realized? So we're going to look at four hows. Four hows as to how we live out the gospel. But before we do, I want to set the stage here. And I need to share this video with you. Now, this is a very profound and life-changing video. Check this out. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. One of my favorite videos on YouTube. I love that video. And I love that at the end, too, when he's like, you can, all this stuff, look at all this stuff is yours. All I'm asking for is a cupcake. Yeah. Linda, honey, honey. <laughs> Families argue. Families, we get into it. We go back and forth. We bicker. You know, as, as a matter of fact, I mean, this is the, kind of the nature of families. We, we tend to argue the most with the people that we're the closest to, right? But just as, as our, you know, our, our biological families, you know, or the families that we, that we live with, you know, we get at one another. We do that in the church, we we bicker, we argue, we get at one another in this, in the church, in the body of Christ. That's oftentimes a condition of our existence. And what we're gonna do here is we're gonna look at as we explore these four hows, we're gonna look specifically in the book of First Peter. And I'm gonna invite you to turn to First Peter, and we're gonna be kind of jumping around. There's only five chapters in that book. It's a really short book. So if you're like flipping pages, chances are you're gonna fly right by it. So no, no, there's nothing wrong with looking at the table of contents, by the way. All right. First Peter is in the New Testament after Hebrews. But it's going to be on the screen as well, as well as in your Bible app. But where we're going to start first is looking at how is it that we can address this how of being like-minded. So the first how is to be like-minded. To have unity as a family, as a, a body of, of believers, those who have, have confessed their relationship To Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at chapter 3 first, starting with verse 8. And this is what it says, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing for Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The church tends to believe. When I talk about the church, you know, I'm talking maybe specifically about this place, but I could be talking about any church. The church tends to believe that the enemy, the devil, and his, and his evil schemes, his desire to want to see us fail, that he's outside of this place. That he's out there in the world somewhere. And that when we walk into this building this particular building we we kind of have this idea a lot of times that that he's absent that we're now protected but this is actually the place that he would much rather be and there's so many churches that he actually feels really comfortable in because he wants nothing more than to see us get at one another he wants nothing more than to see us bicker and argue and to put each other down. Why? Because when we do that, we then lose respect with those outside of the church, with those people that are, that are seeking so desperately truth and life and joy everlasting when they see the church getting at one another. that then says something to the world that is not the love of God, but is rather selfishness and conceit. See, disagreement is going to happen, just like in our families. We're going to disagree, but we should be able to disagree. We should be able to have different opinions. We should be able to have different ideas without hostility. We should be able to disagree with grace and love. We should be able to be like-minded. We should be able to have the unity of Jesus. To be like-minded in our understanding of Jesus and how salvation is only found through Him, the umbrella of Jesus, to be solely and focused on His love. So we need to be like-minded like-minded secondly secondly we have to be obedient we have to be obedient so not only is it important for us as we live out the gospel of Jesus to be like-minded but then we have to be obedient now let's look at that word because a lot of times when we consider the word obedience we tend to think of like rules and restrictions and all that stuff. So let's look at what it says in 1st Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 15. 1st Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 15. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ has revealed at his coming As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Now, obedience is is characterized as this. Now, I have a hula hoop here, and I'm not going to embarrass myself or make you feel uncomfortable by trying it. But um, What this represents is really a circle around my life. So as I put this down on the floor, I see clearly that there is a circle that is surrounding me. Now, obedience. Obedience is standing in the midst of that circle and knowing that the only thing that I can really control is myself. And so obedience is the act of saying, Lord, change me. Change me. Instead of saying, Lord, change them. And ignoring the change that needs to happen in my own life. See, when we, when we try to live our lives solely focused on all those around us and pointing our fingers and saying, change them, change them, change them, change them, we are not living out the gospel, but rather the gospel is embodied within us when we stand in the midst of that and say, Lord, change me. And then as you change me, Lord, allow me then to inspire others to find and follow you. But it starts here. That's obedience. That's holy living. So we're called to be like-minded, to be concerned and motivated by having a unified understanding of Jesus and His great love. And then we're called to be obedient. Now, when we are focused on living our lives, focused on all those people outside of that circle, instead of focusing on the circle itself and saying, God changed me, You know we become. The Bible tells us that we become clanging cymbals, and so as I'm running around the stage here, this is this is what we're sounding like in our lives, and that's harsh. That is that is harsh and 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 crass and and difficult. It's jarring and it pushes people away. But rather. God's calling us to not be clanging symbols but to be harmonious with God's love and the gospel and to to be in step and in harmony with the good news of Jesus Christ so that the beauty of our relationship with him comes through and it's appealing And it's full of grace and mercy and joy. And that comes from us standing in that circle and saying, God, change me. So we're called to be like-minded and then to be obedient. And then the third how, how is it that we live out the gospel in our lives? It is to be valiant. To be valiant. There's a a movie that came out uh, a number of years ago. I'm sure that um, uh, very few of you have actually seen it. It wasn't that... Um, popular. So with Will Ferrell, it's called Land of the Lost, and it was based on a TV show. Remember that TV show, that old TV show, Land of the Lost? Yep. And uh, uh, it, was, it, it was an okay movie, but anyways, you don't have to understand too much about the movie to understand this particular scene. The main characters are being confronted by a ferocious dinosaur who is waiting to devour them, right? And this is their response, First Peter chapter five, verses eight through nine, says this: "Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings." It's often scary to think about living life with boldness for the sake of Jesus. Because when we, when we get serious about our relationship with Jesus, we're, we're going to stand out. And as such, we're going we're to receive some opposition. And that's not going to make the enemy very happy. And as he's, as he's roaming around looking for someone to devour, if you stand bold in your faith, you're going to get noticed. But here it's saying, Stand firm. Stand firm in your faith, in the faith and knowledge that you have that God will never leave you nor forsake you. But it's not just that, that, it's, that God is saying stand alone. What is it that He's saying here? He's saying because you know that the family of believers... All throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. It is standing together. It isn't, it isn't facing down the, the enemy and the, and the trials and the tribulations and determining that, that you're going to get out of town and leave someone else to fend for themselves. It is the body of believers standing firm in their faith, proclaiming that together, together, as we're like-minded, as we're obedient, saying, God, change me, Together we will be valiant. We will stand firm in the faith. No matter what may come. So we are called to be like-minded. We're called to be obedient. We're called to be valiant. And the fourth how to live out the gospel of Jesus in our lives is to be enduring. To be enduring. First Peter chapter five, or sorry, four, verses twelve through thirteen says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now, I've kind of spoken about this ad nauseum over the last few weeks, and so I apologize, but I did participate in the marathon a few weeks ago. I can't say that I ran it because I probably did a little bit more walking than running. But if you've ran long distances before, you know that at a certain point, it's going to stink. You're going to get to a certain point where it's not going to be a lot of fun. And you know what doesn't happen What doesn't happen is you get to mile 19 and you're like, Holy cow, why is this so hard? That's not a surprise to you. You shouldn't be surprised at all that you hit mile 13 and hit a wall, that you hit mile 19, that you hit a wall, that you get to mile 25 and you're thinking, Wow, this is not easy. That should not be a surprise to you. You should go into it knowing that it's going to be hard. That's why you train. That's why you prepare yourself mentally and physically for that run. But it's not just that. It's not just going in with the knowledge that it's going to be difficult. It's going into the race knowing that you're not alone. So as... As is the case with any marathon that I've that I've done, people you know follow me, and, and if you haven't ever done that before, you know that if uh, you can know that if someone runs uh, a long race, you can actually follow their track their progress. Now I personally hate that because I'm not a very fast runner, and it, I, I'm just humiliated by people knowing how slow I actually am. But here's the deal: when I did this last one, I didn't train, and I was even slower. Okay, and it had a cutoff time, this marathon did. And there was a series of, of relief vehicles that if they got past you, you could still finish, you could still get your medal and your shirt and all that stuff, but you weren't gonna have your time recorded anymore. And, and, and so that, that caravan of vehicles got past me and so I think people literally thought that I had collapsed and probably died. I know my wife was thinking about running to the medical tent because they weren't getting any more information. But I was fine, I was just behind the vehicles. But here's why. Five miles, five miles to go, mile 19, I see this man running in front of me. Now, he looked like at that time that he was about 150 years old. Now, he was actually 79, young 79. It was his 48th marathon, but he looked like he was in bad shape, and he was ahead of me. <laughs> oh, it's so so humbling. Um, but nonetheless, I caught up with him. I come to find out. I walk up to him or I jog up to him. I ask him how he's doing. And he asks me. He turns to me, and he looks. He looks so desperate in his face, and he says, "Will you please stay with me? Will you just talk with me? Will you walk with me? Because I don't think I'm going to finish." See, not only was he 79; it was his 40th marathon. But back in May, he was hit by a bicycle as he was training, and he broke his hip. And he still decided to run. And he was struggling so desperately, and he was actually falling over. The upper part of his body was actually moving faster than his legs could support. And so here I am, now walking with him for the last five miles. And I'm holding him and catching him and encouraging him. I'm listening to his story. I'm asking him about his his marriage, and his kids, and his work, and his life, and he's asking me about mine. And then we get to the last 50 yards, right, and people are cheering, and he turns to me with this big smile, and he says, Adam, they're cheering for us. And I said, no, Phil, they're cheering for you. Yeah, that's a pity clap for me. But what was so amazing to me is, see, not only, yes, I was there to catch him. I was there to support him. But honestly, I don't think I would have finished if Phil hadn't done the same for me. That is what it means to endure. And so when we look at those, those four hows, if we see those four hows here, to be like-minded. This is how the gospel lives out. To be like-minded, to be obedient, to be valiant, and to, to be enduring. But there's one more how. One more how that is, that is seen in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, Above all, love each other deeply. And so look, let's look at those four hows again. Be like-minded, be obedient, be valiant, be enduring. And you know what that all culminates into? love. And so what does that mean? How is it that we live out the gospel of Jesus? We are to be love. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are to be like-minded. We are to be valiant. We are to be obedient. We are to be enduring. We are to be love, And that is how people experience the gospel of Jesus. Now I'm going to invite the ushers forward here, and as they come forward, we're going to take a moment once again to receive those faith promise commitment cards. And this is how it is, uh, one tangible way that we could be a part of spreading the gospel of Jesus, spreading Jesus to the world. And so if you've yet to to fill that out and to, and to let us know how it is that you plan on being a part of that faith promise, we invite you to please put that in the baskets as it comes by. So the ushers can go ahead and pass out those baskets and as we, we receive those, those commitment cards, I also want to just speak a little bit about baptism because right now we're going to experience a baptism and this is a very near and dear one to my heart because it's my son. Now, I would tear the roof off the building. I would do whatever is possible to see my son get baptized. And so it doesn't bother me in the least that he's the only one here this morning. But I want to I let you all know, baptism is not necessary for salvation. See, we are justified with God only through Jesus Christ having a relationship with Jesus, that is what ensures, he says that I'm the only way, the only life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what is baptism then? Why is it that Jesus says, be baptized? Baptism is a public declaration. It is an outward expression of what God has done inside. And so in my son's life, not even a year ago, I prayed with him in his bed to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And about a month ago, he came to his mother and I and said, I want to get baptized because I want people to know that I love Jesus. That's what it means. That's why we do it. And it is the greatest way, one of the greatest ways that we can proclaim to the world that we love Jesus and that we've given our lives to him. And if you haven't done that, if you have yet to be baptized, if you have a relationship with Jesus, we're not, we're not, we're not wanting to put up a bunch of red tape. There's no hoops that you have to jump through. As a matter of fact, I, I wouldn't even bother me in the least. If you're saved, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you jumped up right now and hopped up in the tub, we do it right now. It's an outward symbol of what God has done, something inwardly, and He's changed my son's heart. And because of that, the Bible tells Bible, Bible tells us that my son will spend an eternity with God. And so, right now, I want to invite my my wife and uh, my son into the uh, baptismal. And this is my wife Sarah and my son Aiden. And um, I had the opportunity, the privilege of baptizing my daughter, and um, I wouldn't have been able to go home today if I didn't give Sarah the opportunity to baptize <laughs> my son. So, uh,
1: Aiden, do you remember the first time that we came here? Yeah. What did you say when we stepped up on this stage for the first time? I want to get baptized. Yeah. Yeah, so I get to do that with you today, and I'm so excited. Are you nervous? Yeah. Me too. <laughs> OK, I'm going to ask you some questions. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yeah. Do you believe that he died for your sins, rose from the dead, and is alive today? Yeah. And have you asked Jesus into your heart and want to follow him? Yeah. Then it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Yeah! Yeah! Praise God. Praise God. That could be you. That could be you. So we have the opportunity, the privilege, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what we're called to do, to, be, to shine the light of God's glory. And so right now, um, I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come up on the stage, and we're going to we're worship God one more time. And as we leave this place, I just want to encourage you to, to celebrate in your own life, what God has done inwardly. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you about that. I'd love to share with you how it is that He's changed my life, and how He can change yours. And just a quick administrative thing as well. After this service, we're going to be having our uh, OCC fundraising lunch, the Operation Christmas Child lunch. And uh, if you want to be a part of that, we'd ask that you would go through that door. You see it, Amanda? Amanda, wave your hand. See, there she is. She didn't even know that she'd be my Vanna White, but there she is, right there. So you go through that door right there, and you'll be ushered in to get the food and all that stuff. So, alright, let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. For the love that you so perfectly and wonderfully demonstrated to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you would move on us in such a way, Lord, that we would that we would be the, a beautiful reflection of your glory because of what it is that you've done and what it is that you can do in the lives of others. We pray this in your name, amen.